Hello and welcome back to a tall 2% glass of Hollywood chop shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. And today we will be reviewing 1994's Leon the Professional. But before we do, let's head to the shop and see what's going on. Yeah, 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 come on, you son of a bitch. I can wait. I love these little calm little moments before the... Hey, what the hell are you doing up here? Mike said you're... Whoa, whoa! Why do you have a gun? Shut, 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 shut the fuck up. Get down. Dude! Some, some, someone's gonna see you. Dude! Hey, hey, re relax, relax. It's just a paintball gun. Listen, you were right about Murphy and the shop across the street. I think they're the ones that vandalized our new sign downtown. All right, I need you to calm down. I, I am calm. Okay, did you already call the PD? No, no, no. We need to take this into our own hands, amigo. I'm going to show old Murphy he isn't the only one that can have some fun with some paint. So you're just waiting for him to leave the shop so that you can... Oh, God! Dude, 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 you, you got him. You got him. We, we, we got to get off the roof. Trav, you got him. Let's go. Uh, but he ruined our sign. It's cops down there. We got to go. It's cops down there. We got to go. Review Leon. The Professional. A young girl is orphaned after her family is brutally murdered at the hands of a corrupt DEA task force, with the only witness being a hitman that just so happens to live next door. Leon, the professional, reluctantly takes Matilda in, with the two quickly establishing a strong but unconventional bond. Soon after the arrangement, Leon begins to train the 12-year-old in the art of assassination, strengthening her resolve while simultaneously humanizing the killing machine. Can they survive in a world defined by death and destruction? Or their love put a target on their back? Alrighty, Travis. This week, uh, we're going to go back and, and try and do our, our five-point inspection segment again. Um, we got a little feedback. We're, we're going to try and modify it and see if we can make this work. So... Um, maybe if you want to go just a, a quick, quick overview, your quick diagnostic, and then I think we're going to jump into our five main points we want to stick with this movie are the relationship between Leon and Matilda, Stan, just as a villain, and Gary Oman's, uh, his, uh, his portrayal of the character, a little bit about the director and the direction of this, and then we want to get into some more of the, I guess you can say the, ar the artsy-fartsy side of it, with uh, kind of the use of color and costume design throughout the, the film, as well as using music to kind of set the mood um, and really uh, cement uh, several scenes throughout the movie. So, you know, do you want to go ahead and give us your quick diagnostic on uh, what your, your thoughts of Leon the Professional were? 
well, especially after last week, I was very excited to review anything that wasn't semi-pro, but uh, we just happened to uh, choose The Professional. And uh, as a kid, I loved this movie. Um, I loved it just as much as I did as a kid, but I guess meta-knowledge, I find it a little bit more problematic, and I think it's impossible not to talk about that part of things, but um, just... If you remove the meta element, I still love this movie. I think it's a great action movie that uh, puts in a good amount of character and has one of the greatest villains I've seen on screen ever. So, uh, yeah, no secret. I, I still love this movie, as problematic as it may be behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's interesting as we continue to to review movies, especially during, I think, the 80s and 90s and even into the early 2000s. It's definitely you're going to run into those situations where you realize that, you know, the film industry as a whole, not trying to point fingers at any, any one particular like director or production studio or anything, you know, executive producer or anything like that. But just the industry as a whole definitely preyed on um, women, particularly young women. Um, and I'm not going to say that they didn't do the same thing to, to men, but it's de it was definitely prevalent. Um, so, you know, We'll probably bring it up whenever the opportunity brings it up, just to you know make sure that it stays top of mind and stuff like that. But it's definitely like this movie had some controversy even before you know modern times. You know the the era that we live me in now. Too. Yeah, the Me yeah. Too, where people are actually you know holding a lot of this stuff accountable for its action. So I don't know. That seems like a you know we'll get into the the parts we loved about the movie, but you know this does I think kind of fall into one of our five point inspections. So I don't know if you kind of want to take it from there um, in talking about kind of the the director and then just ultimately the the casting of Natalie Portman as this twelve year old who seems to be lusting after a an, an, an older man. Yeah, and it's almost a shame that that's even a part of this conversation because above all else. Natalie Portman, holy shit, what a performance. Yeah, like, she actually she's wasn't She's been a famous actress for so yeah. long, but you kind of forget it's because she was uber talented from Jump, because this is her debut film. So mm -hmm. before we even get into the, the side stuff, I think we should just talk about her performance specifically. Absolutely. I mean, she wasn't originally the they were not going to cast her for this role, but she actually came in and auditioned for it. And because of just her her depth and her ability to portray you know um some of the the far more emotional scenes like they decided to go ahead and cast her i know that her parents were still fairly protective particularly around the smoking scenes so if you look at the smoking scenes you know she's never seen inhaling and i think they were only allowed like five seconds of smoking of her like holding a cigarette at a time and stuff like that and they they adhered to those you know, rules very strictly, which, you know, is good to see that, you know, her, her parents were very top of mind and were able to, to influence the direction of this movie in that way. But, um, yeah, holy, holy shit. Is she just talented? I mean, even again, she was, I think 11 years old when she was cast for this, she's playing a 12 year old, but you know, it was one of those things where, um, you're going to give me a second to, you know, names aren't my, my specialty. The, the actor who played Leon, uh, Jean Renault, uh, he basically like decided actively he was going to play the character as a little slower and kind of emotionally inept and just allowed Natalie Portman to completely control those kind of more intimate scenes. And he, he actively put himself kind of in, in the background of those to where he wasn't competing and in, in, it shows, I mean, she does a phenomenal job of just completely taking control of those scenes. Yeah. And to speak more about the meta piece, um, 
like you mentioned, I mean, Hollywood, the industry in general is just notorious for taking advantage of, of women and young women. So it, I think what saves this movie and still makes it very enjoyable is Jean Renault's performance. Because, yeah, if he doesn't play it that way, this movie could go south in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Jean Renault's performance does a good job of kind of controlling Luke Besson's instincts because – I are you familiar with any of his filmography or personal life? Um, no, not uh, the director. No. Yeah. So the director, Luke Besson, um, you know, a lot of his movies you, you, dating back to like La Femme Nikita, it's always about, or, or the fifth element. There's always a girl who is either young or in the fifth elements case, she's an alien. So she's like naive to earth and then like a man like taking her in and protecting her and that shows up over and over again through his filmography i'm not going to go beat by beat movie by movie but if you have any interest in looking into that just check out his filmography and look at the plot descriptions um and he's also um the woman that plays a a prostitute in this movie at the beginning of the movie that's with the the fat guy that leon kills Mm -hmm. that was his wife at the time uh who he started dating when he she was 16 and he was like 30 something so and then you know to top it all off i mean he's got numerous rape allegations from women he's worked with so it's hard to separate the artist from the art in this case Mm -hmm. especially when you can see how that's playing out on screen with the leon matilda relationship but to bring it full circle i think that's why it's important that jean renault plays it the way he does yeah, and in interviews, he actively said, you know, uh, John Renault, he that you know, his whole point was to kind of play Leon as as a little bit slower and definitely again, kind of like emotionally inept to the point where, in those scenes where you know Natalie Portman's character Matilda is kind of lusting after him, it's it's very clear to the audience like he is incapable of taking advantage of this girl because he literally doesn't like he's incapable of that kind of of a relationship and. Again, to your point, that that just goes to show how reading the script, he realized it's a great script, but he's to your point, he has to toe the line. Like he doesn't want audience viewers to feel uncomfortable, like, oh you know, he's already an assassin, you know, so he's already kind of morally gray and corrupt. It's like, no, we have to make sure it's very clear that like he there's no there is absolutely no option for him to have any kind of romantic interaction with Matilda. And I think he does a good job. I don't even know if I would say it's a a father. The way he plays it is a father daughter role, almost like a, a big brother little brother to me. Um, which again is weird because Matilda does not view him in the same way. But I think the way that he portrays the character and and his kind of love for her is more so. I don't want to say like you know your knight in shining armor protector, but more of a, a big brother like family. Like, and I don't know if you agree with that or not. No, I definitely do. And I think, like you said, it's difficult to toe the line here. And this movie could have gone wrong. But the performances from the two leads, and I mean, we'll talk about Norman Stansfield in a minute, but I guess the three leads are just pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I agree with the, the sibling kind of relationship, just especially in the sense of when he opens the apartment door for her, he's clearly conflicted. He, He does not want to do it. But much like you would a sibling, you're going to go in and protect them at all costs. Like it's it's an automatic reaction. So even if your mind is telling you to stay out of it, you physically aren't going to be able to. And and I love that scene. That was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Then, you know, to kind of play into one of the other points of inspection here, the, the use of color and kind of costume design, I, I want to, to hit on that as we're talking more about Leon and even kind of his relationship with Til- Matilda's. The the way that they set up the, the, the character, Leon, I, I mean, the beginning of the movie is absolutely phenomenal. We might touch on a couple uh, of our, our point inspections here, but the opening of the movie is almost more reminiscent of, of a horror movie to me. Um, you have Leon... Uh, very close shots. You never get a full shot of his face. Most of it is of his glasses. And I have to assume that the costume design was on purpose, that it is these round black glasses. Because to me, it's almost like a shark. You know, he's a hunter, like lifeless eyes behind them. That's, you know, those beady eyes. That's something that sharks always get referred to as, is, you know, they, you know, these mindless killing machines of the of the ocean, which I don't believe in. But, you know, just saying like that's kind of their perception. So you have this and uh, not only that, whenever he is is attacking or he's in hunt mode, he always has the glasses, typically his beanie and, and his black trench coat. And that's kind of like his hunt attire, you know. Um, and then in scenes where he is not the the professional, the assassin, assassin, he has kind of the white shirt or he has some kind of, you know, level of purity or even the, the use of the milk, you know, as this pure, you know, nutritious substance. He doesn't drink any kind of alcohol or anything like that. It's kind of this wholesome substance that that's, that's what he chooses to drink when he's not on the job and stuff like that. And there's definitely... They, they use that sense of color and costume design to really show the duality of the character where he is, you know a killer and he is you know where he is actually kind of a nurturing person you know with the plant that he always kind of takes care of where he you know he has this this metaphor this symbol of life that he continues to nurture and make sure that he keeps it alive regardless of the fact that you know his profession is literally to assassinate people um and then you know again to to touch on that a little bit more one of i think one of the most impactful scenes is after he's let matilda in for the first time and he's sitting in the room he's put his glasses on because he's in kill mode and like in the middle of the night he just decides like he grabs his gun and he's thinking of going and assassinating matilda because at that point he's in he's in killer mode it's and again it's this this duality that he has that in that mode he's set himself in a a situation where all he can think about is killing and basically keeping himself safe and then throughout the rest of the movie you watch slowly transition as he stops wearing that attire and when he's around matilda the clothing that he's wearing and i just i think it's again it's i love seeing that kind of stuff throughout a movie as you see kind of the actual physical impacts of that relationship on the character as well as just watching their bond no, I absolutely agree. And I think the only part of this movie that I forgot from when I was a kid is that scene that you mentioned where you you don't see the whole scene, but I can imagine that he was kind of like working himself up in the room thinking like, hey, this is not how you survive. This doesn't make sense. And then he goes in there to kill her. And obviously he, he cannot go through with it, but that internal conflict is perfectly represented in that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's a very brief scene and it's like, it is it's so quick to the point and then they establish again like this is this is kind of the 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 wedge in you know in kind of separating himself from that the professional that assassin and allowing himself to actually you know a lot of this movie i think thematically goes around you have to have a reason to live um in order for you to kind of appreciate death and life and stuff like that so that is kind of that moment that wedge where he realizes that there's you know beyond being this harbinger of death like there's actually a reason to live and kind of he's he wants to leave that aspect of his life behind yeah and you know one other interesting thing that just popped to mind is the only other 
person that Leon really interacts with is old Tony. And if you contrast the relationship between old Tony and Leon and then Matilda and Leon, like Leon gives up all of his agency to Tony. Like he doesn't even keep his own money. Mm -hmm. Um, He's living a pretty, I guess, Spartan lifestyle maybe, or sparse lifestyle. Um, And he kind of just defers to Tony on everything. And then once Matilda comes in the picture, Leon is now responsible for something more than a plant. He's having to make decisions for Matilda. And I can see where that also would be a conflict for him because the only other human interaction he has is with someone who completely controls him. Yeah, absolutely. And he doesn't even realize he's being controlled because, again, it's there's very telltale signs like you start. And even when Leon starts to realize that Tony probably isn't being completely honest and forthcoming with him, but definitely where like, you know, I was waiting for a scene because they bring up, you know, when Leon's like, I can now read and write. I'm waiting for the scene where Leon's like, I know how, like, uh, roughly how much money I should have. And you have not been giving me even close to that. Like, I want to see the the bank records or like, I want my money. And at at, at no point do, do you get to that point in the movie. But it is one of those, like, at first you think, you know, old Tony's probably not such a bad guy. And then you realize, I'm like, very, old Tony's very, you know, self-interested. The one thing I did like about old Tony's because ultimately he sells out Leon at the end of the movie. I do like the next time we see old Tony, when Matilda goes to kind of get some of the, the cash that she's supposed to be, you know, that Leon was supposed to, you know, uh, or essentially her inheritance that old Tony is beat to shit. So it's not one of those where old Tony just gave up Leon. It's a, it actually shows like without, you know, having to do some kind of brutal torture scene. It's like, Oh no, old Tony got roughed up and th- you know, he tried to not give up on Leon. And I guess it plays into that too. When he's like, you know, you think I'm not hurt. I'm hurt too. It's like, okay, at least old Tony did have some connection. He did value Leon to some level. Um, if he was willing to get, you know, the shit beat out of him before he finally, you know, gave him up. Oh, absolutely. I, I, much like everybody in this movie, Tony is a great character. Like, he's a mobster, and yeah, he clearly has taken advantage of Leon, but the yeah, that, that scene perfectly portrays that, yeah, there's still a lot of love for him, and that's why I, I enjoy all the characters in this movie, because they feel 3D. And there's a lot of that subtlety to, throughout the movie. Again, you don't have to, you know, where we were talking about the scene where Leon almost kills Matilda. There's the scene where, you know, Tony's beat up. There's a lot of stuff where, like, you didn't have to have an explicit scene. And it, it goes back to the, our thing about, like, you don't need a two-and-a-half-hour movie because those are the kinds of scenes you could have easily, a modern, I think a modern movie would have had a torture scene. It would have had a scene where Leon has an inner monologue about Matilda, should he keep her? Like, she's so dangerous. But, like, in this movie... They're just it's little snippets that give you just the amount of information you need to know what happened without going into any kind of long, lengthy detail with it, where it's like it keeps the movie moving and it helps the flow of the movie. So there really aren't any like slow spots or areas where you're just kind of like, oh, I guess, you know, if I was in the theater, this is where I think I'd go to the bathroom. Um, So it's it's an hour and what, 40 minutes, I think, is the runtime for this. Uh, maybe an hour 49, but you have to, you know, incorporate in credits and stuff like that. So it's, it's a, it's a nice compact movie. Yes. And we, we haven't mentioned it much and I think we're burying the lead, but let me just say that a few podcasts ago, we talked about how there needs to be more Jack Palances out there. <laughs> and if a director gives direction, it's just like, Hey, do it more like Jack Palance would do a villain. 
I have to believe Luke Besson, all his personal failings aside, gave that direction to Gary Oldman because I was worried. I was like, no way this villain can live up to what I remember. And he, he exceeded it. So I, can I was going to say about Norman Stansfield. Yeah, you take it. Yeah, but I was going to agree. I'm like, he was actually better than I remember him being. Yeah, in every scene, like there is not one throwaway scene with Gary Oldman in this movie. Like you said, I mean, it's a very tight movie. Every time Gary Oldman's on screen, he is chewing scenery. And while he doesn't quite feel like a real person, that works for an iconic movie villain. Well, and to that point, like it's already kind of an exaggerated universe because at a certain point, Leon walks into a D a federal building <laughs> um basically takes out two security guards and kills two cops and is able to walk out scot-free. There's the end of the movie is basically a Butch Cassidy and Sundance kid type situation where like, it seems like the entire New York police force SWAT, everything shows up at Leon's apartment to take him out. I'm like, this would, this would never actually happen. But again, suspension, suspension of disbelief. Like it is a fun, fun way for the movie to kind of climax and, and end out. So to your point, yes, he, Gary Oldman is very much a caricature of a like an overtop villain, but oh my god, is he so much fun? He's so much fun. Yeah, and real quick, just because I this was going to be my one complaint of the movie that as a kid you don't quite realize, but none of this movie is realistic. Like even when Matilda's family is killed, they're having a fucking five six minute shootout in the middle of an apartment, and then they're just <laughs> hanging out. What? For 15 to 20 minutes looking for drugs, I'm like, Tra New York as bad as it's ever been. Police would have shown up much sooner than they did. Beyond that, when the old woman walks out, she goes, leave that family <laughs> alone. And, and Gary Oldman's character, Stan, just shoots the window out beside her and tells her to get back in her fucking apartment. And you're just like, oh my God, he's fucking insane. And that's before... I don't know if that's if you we've established that he's a cop yet when he does that. And then you realize he's a cop and it's even more ludicrous. <laughs> yes. God, I love that scene. Like I enjoyed not only Stan as a villain, but he seemed like almost like a Gordon Ramsay out of control boss. And everybody around him is just trying to keep him contained. Like the scene where he shoots the glass next to the old lady uh his henchman malky is doing everything he can to just not let that situation happen <laughs> or and norman's just like no i am calm yeah. as he's loading the gun again yeah i think that's right after or right before i think it's right after he shoots matilda's dad yes. like eight times in the back and he's, he's like he's dead what are you shooting him for he's dead he goes he ruined my suit <laughs> it's just like fucking crazy Yes. And again, like just the delivery of like, stand, 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 like just doing everything he can to avoid an incident, even though they've just murdered a family. It just it makes like me we think, can't let it get any more out of control. Yeah. Not to not to necessarily bring up another movie, but it just reminds me of. So, you know, Gary Oldman um, and Heath Ledger were both in The Dark Knight. One of our I, well, I won't speak for both of us, but I'm pretty sure one of our favorite movies. And there's yes. a there's a part where, you know, um, there's a couple scenes that they have together, but apparently after the scene where Heath Ledger is clapping in the jail cell, like Gary Oldman came up to him afterward and like complimented him on the scene and said, you know, oh, it reminds me a lot of like the Clockwork Orange and all that. And like Heath Ledger took it as a compliment. But I'm just thinking like, can you imagine Heath Ledger with Gary Oldman in basically his repertoire of just 
unhinged villains. Can you imagine what a compliment that has to be coming from Gary Oldman saying like, you did a phenomenal job with the Joker there. Like, holy shit, would that be a compliment? Oh yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, not to derail it even more, but I mean, yeah, it's one of the, the saddest parts of Heath Ledger passing because I feel like he could have been a Gary Oldman mm-hmm. playing these kind of iconic villains for sure. Um, but yeah, to, to get back to Stan, um, I definitely... Again, just completely unhinged. I loved, I did think that the, because he takes pills throughout the movie, and it's, this when he takes, the scenes where he takes the pills, again, just Gary Oldman is so, he makes that such a, a physical scene, and all it is is him essentially, like, biting down on a capsule, and then how it kind of rushes over and takes him, and two things with the pills, A, there were five in the pill, in, in the pill box, I really thought we were going to watch him use, like, I was counting the number of times he took the pills, thinking, like, okay, it's going to get to either, like, he takes all five, or, like, at a certain point, there's going to be a fight, with you know, the fight with Leon at the end, like, he's going to pop a couple of them, or something like that, we don't get that uh, reaction, but, um, it is almost like a, a Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde thing to me. Right? I mean, both sides of him are completely unhinged, but when he takes the capsule, like, that's when he almost, like, he becomes, like, this this murderous monster. Uh, before that, he's an unhinged cop, but it's that, that pill that essentially takes him and allows him to become that wild animal, like, you know, essentially Leon. Yeah, and I mean, as unrealistic as this movie is, I liked the the vibe that... Norman Stansfield and his crew give like they feel like whether they ran into Leon or not they were so reckless that something bad was bound to happen like even down to like Norman Stansfield he's always sweating he's always you know kind of looking greasy and disheveled like it's a perfect example of corrupt law enforcement and just really any job just when you have an out of control boss the business is sure to fail and Again, whether they ran into Leon or not, this was going to self-destruct. But it's even more fun to watch that uh, against the perfect assassin, Leon, who, like you, to touch on Leon for one moment, because I forgot to mention it when you were talking about the the shark eyes and the way they kind of introduced him as a, um, uh, a monster. It reminded me of what the first uh, Christopher Nolan Batman did so well with Batman, because mm-hmm. they portrayed him in that same way. Well... And what I think, and this goes to the way, you know, the movie was shot and the the order of sequences, I think that the beginning of the movie is so effective because at that point, we don't know who, the audience does not know who Leon is. So as much as, you know, these are crime, these are criminals, it's a, a, probably like a crime boss or something like that, just because he has, you know, his his cronies with him. There is a certain sense of, of, uh, of uh, suspense for the audience, even though you're essentially watching the protagonist of the movie hunting down these, these characters. Um, and there is, there's like, holy shit, like you have like, he, as he's taking people out, you're not sure if you're rooting for him or not, just because like, again, the movie starts off, you don't identify the protagonist. The only thing you see is that he basically is in the shadows and he is murdering people. Yeah, and then that sets up great suspense when now this same character that you just watched efficiently, brutally murder like 10 people is now in charge of taking care of, you know, a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So it, even even though you know it's not going to go there, you still feel a little bit of tension about how these two characters are going to interact. And, and, you know, to, to you know, I always kind of like to look at older movies like this and see how they might have influenced modern um 
kind of like cinema or movies and TV shows and stuff like that. And like, I have to assume for anybody who has seen The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, there's an episode in season one to me that's very reminiscent where they do kind of a, a reverse horror type thing like this, where it is essentially you're watching Mando hunt down a a group of of criminals, and to me, it they had to have have been heavily influenced by this movie and particularly the opening sequence of this movie as they're watching Leon essentially take out members of this crime family. Um, Cause again, it just, all it could do, it just reminded me so much of a lot of how that movie was shot. And again, you never really see the protagonist as he's essentially hunting down all these other characters and you get this conflict of like, I don't know who I'm rooting for. Am I rooting? Like Mando is technically the protagonist, much like Leon was, but at the same time, it's like, he's, taking people out and you can see the terror in his victims faces and like it, it gives this weird conflict for the audience where you're like i don't know like am i rooting for or against this right now you know well and it's interesting you say that because i would guarantee that leon was an inspiration for the mandalorian because i mean look what he is he's a killer who now is in charge of taking care of a child yeah like it's yeah beat for beat um so I think we pretty much hit most of the stuff we wanted to about, you know, our five point inspection, the the, the main five points. The only other one I, I wanted to talk about was music. Before we do that, was there anything about Leona Matilda, Stan, the director, or just, you know, kind of the use of color and design before we wrap this one up? Um, I just want to mention one Stan quote, just because even when he's not being unhinged, Gary Oldman still gives a hilarious performance. Um, the moment I'm thinking about, is at the end raid with the SWAT team. Uh, I, I took note of this line. So the, <laughs> the SWAT team chief, um, he's calling on the radio, Alpha Team, final position, ready to go. And Stansfield just into the radio, just with a certain tone, is just like, be careful. <laughs> and then literally we wait a beat, and Leon kills the first guy through the door. The guy gets back on the radio, Alpha team, man down, man down. And then Stansfield, in the same tone, he just says, I told you. <laughs> so, like, this movie is funnier than I remember, too. So, like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, it's it's never a slow moment, but it's not always just action. Mm-hmm. It's not always just, you know, melodramatic character. There are times that it's just it plays as a comedy. Yeah, and there's there's plenty of scenes even in the movie that are just shot so beautifully in terms of how they, they set up the characters. Like, I love the scene when Leon and Matilda are walking over the hill. And the way the scene is shot is you have the camera set up on the other side of the hill, probably mid-hill. mid, mid, mid hill. Um, But you the first thing you see is Leon walking over the hill, and he looks solo. And this is after he's told Matilda she's going to be on her own, like, take the gun, she can be cleaner, he's not dealing with her anymore. And she's like, you have to save me. So the first thing you see is, see is it appears that Leon is by himself and he's essentially abandoned Matilda. And then as the scene plays out within seconds, suddenly you see Matilda's head pop up too. because, And it's just naturally because she's shorter, they're allowed to do this scene where like, there's nothing special. There's no crazy angles or anything like that. It just, But it's so well established. like, again, the audience has that split second. Like, oh shit, he actually kind of left her behind. And then the reveal is like, oh, nope, she's still there. And it's like, it's not this weird thing where like she comes, you know, he's sitting in a room by herself and she comes around a corner. Like there's so much of it where it's like, it's just very subtle details that are just, I think are so beautiful about, again, the movie, how how they 
continue the story without kind of hanging on some of those those smaller things that I feel like people instantly want to have to create some kind of big scene about, you know? No, I agree. And, and to further what you're talking about with that shot where he walks over the hill, I love that she's also carrying his plant. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just, again, shorthand for like, he's uprooting his life and she, he, she is now a part of his life mm-hmm. and they're in this together. Like, and you establish that with a, a great looking shot that only takes three seconds. Yep. And there's another one where like they're, they're doing kind of like, it's, I, th- I think like it's a faux montage. It's not a full montage, but like basically kind of the training sequence and like them, you know, we're seeing their uh, uh, relationship establish and kind of blossom you know, Leon's always the one to put the plant on the windowsill when they leave. And at a certain point, you see Natalie Portman's character, Matilda, is the one who puts the plant on the windowsill. I'm like, okay, this is like, to me, this is the hard point in the movie where there's a, a full transition where now Leon has kind of opened up and Matilda is officially part of his life. And then it, it goes to show kind of the effects of that where it's kind of making him sloppy because his focus isn't being a harbinger of death anymore because, you know, he goes out for a job and winds up getting shot, you know, and that's it's a it echoes an earlier shower scene where he's not bleeding. And then he the next after, you know, he's essentially established this relationship with Matilda when he takes a shower, he's actually having to clean himself up because, again, he's he's distracted. He's his he's not laser focused on being an assassin anymore. No, 100 percent. And I mean, if you're a cynic and you look at this movie, ultimately, the reasons Leon does not want to get involved with Matilda is because, yeah, he'll be sloppy. It'll be one distraction. It might get him killed. And technically it does. It does. But the interesting thing is without Matilda, he was never really allowed to live. And that's why I love the scene where he actually falls asleep in the bed. And it's so late in the movie. And you realize like it's, he only gets a taste of life, but that taste of actual living and life was worth dying for like even just having a small small taste of it was worth everything him losing everything ultimately you know um so again just beautiful um but to just talk real quickly about the music what i do love is the use of it's almost this almost like an urban tribal music that they use when leon is hunting and especially in, again in that opening sequence like it is so perfect for what he's doing is he's basically again they're establishing him as, you know, a, a hunter, an urban, you know, an urban predator or something like that. As as he's going through and he's he's hunting these mob people and all that stuff. And like, I just think the music pairs so well with the mood that's being established. And again, it's not just this weird I I, I won't say if you they just use like, you know, tribal music, it would have been bad, but the fact that they went ahead and married it with kind of like these it almost sounded like banging on like pipes or something like that. It was very urban to me that marriage it just it helped so much with the tone of him basically being this you know urban hunter you know yeah 100 percent. i i love the use of music because i thought it was that perfect kind of complimentary music you don't the music does not overpower any particular moment but it pairs well anytime it's used uh, not only the the kind of urban jungle hunter kind of vibe but even like the the scene where we're wondering if leon is going to make it out mm-hmm. you know and he's walking and sansfield comes up behind him like i even love the score under that scene it gives like the perfect like we're hopeful for a moment and then like no it comes crashing down 
And then we move into like, hey, like you said, he died, but Matilda now has a chance in life. And the, that whole score at the end just accompanies it well. So the music always pairs well with what we see on screen. Well, and not only did the sound design beyond that, using the Transformers cartoon to essentially establish um, Matilda's thoughts. So she doesn't say anything. It's not necessarily a... Uh, a, a monologue or you know in her head or anything like that but like there's the scene where she's fighting with her sister and you know she decides it's her turn to watch the tv and essentially she turns the channel and it's megatron from the transformers cartoon saying it's my turn and then i think there's it, it follows it up almost immediately after that like it's basically starscream beating the uh our megatron beating the shit out of starscream and it's again establishing as her sister's beating her up um the, there, there's a couple other ones where uh, I think she's it's the moment she decides that she's going to go after Stan. She's watching it and it's like Optimus Prime saying like, oh, you've given me a great idea. And then the next thing is her deciding that she's going to go try and, and take on Stan herself. And like they do that throughout the movie. They only use the cartoon Transformers, which I assume has to be intentional because you're watching, you know, th both of these characters transform. You're watching Basically, Leon transformed from just a killing machine into a human, you know, being a, an actual person, being alive. And then you're kind of watching Matilda transition into being kind of weak and finding strength so that she can go on. And then not only that, establishing that, you know, she she can't be a cleaner. And by the end of the movie, like she has to kind of put down roots and she has to kind of take care of herself. But um, again, I I love just using the Transformers cartoon Again, as it's it's so subtle, it's basically background noise, but it is allowing the audience to understand what's going through Matilda's mind without her explicitly having to um to oh it's uh when she goes to walk the the second line is when she goes to walk into Leon's apartment after her family's been killed, she turns on the TV in his apartment and it's the Transformers cartoons and it just it goes didn't or don't you recognize me and that's the moment where she's concerned that the cop that's standing guard outside the the uh, apartment that her family was just killed in would have recognized her and you know who is she and does Leon recognize her please let her in like again I just I love the the subtlety of using the Transformers cartoon to es establish what's going through Matilda's mind. Yeah, again, I, I this movie is just so efficient and intentional with everything it does. It, mm. I, I don't, I think subconsciously, a lot of the stuff we complain about in worse movies that we review, uh, like I don't think I asked you what, what was the first, what age were you when you saw this movie the first time? Um, I think I was in high school because if I'm honest, I think it. <laughs> ironically enough, you know, we worked at a movie theater together, and I think people kept quoting the "I don't, um, I don't have time for the, uh, this Mickey Mouse bullshit" line <laughs> that Gary Oldman delivers. Um, and it was one of those like, "What the fuck is this movie? What is this from?" And I went and watched the movie at that point because I wanted to be part of the inside joke or part of yeah on the inside of the joke. And um, yeah, it's just that's the probably the first time I saw it. And at that point, you know, I. I loved movies, but I, I have an even more of an appreciation. At that point, it was just an awesome action movie. Now there's so many more layers to it that I don't think I picked up on it that the, the first time I watched it. Very much the same. I, I saw it earlier than you, but I had all the same feelings. But I think subconsciously, I wonder if it infected us with some sort of like, this is the efficiency that a movie should strive for. And when you have these plotting movies and like, like you said, when we have an unnecessary torture scene, when you could just show old Tony beat up, 
that that can make or break a film. Yep. Absolutely. So we've kind of gone through, you know, the the main points we wanted to go with the, through the film. So do you do you want to get into some chop shop? You want to do a little choppy chop? I uh yeah, I'm ready for some chop shop. All righty. So ultimately this week, what wound up happening is, uh, you know, we've got our new format where we're trying to specifically choose genres. We have six genres to go through. Um, we randomly get assigned one and then we have to try and transform these movies into the new genre. So we all decided that this was kind of, we put this more in the Oscar bait kind of situation. Cause I think it did win some awards. Um, especially I think some French awards and stuff like that. But at the, uh, at the end of the day, what wound up happening is for the first time in the new format, we wound up rolling the same new genre. So we both wound up getting family friendly. Um, so we decided, you know, we test the water, see what happens. So both of us have just dis- have created a family friendly version of Leon, the professional, um, Travis, do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'm gonna let you lead it off. All right. Uh, Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the board. Uh, I would like to pitch you a movie. Um, (laughs) So ultimately, what I did with this one, I was thinking, you know, I I like to try and keep the the ultimate core of the movie, what's going on. But obviously, this is family friendly. So we we probably have to get rid of a lot of the murder, right? Um, (laughs) So I started thinking about how, you know, different ways we could could get around that. And uh, I'm just going to say this, the way I... I do, you know, I, I always like to pitch these off by saying I'm merging a couple different movies like, to get you in the mood as to where I'm going, the direction, kind of maybe the influence of where I was going with this. Cause... So my chop shop, my family-friendly vision version of Leon is, of course, main ingredient is Leon. You know, that's our full, our full turkey here. But we're going to season it with a touch of Mrs. Doubtfire, a little, a little <laughs> sprinkling of 1996's Matilda. The name is just coincidence. And then maybe maybe we stuff it with a little Home Alone, all right? So this is this is my Leon the Professional meets Mrs. Doubtfire meets his 1996's Matilda meets Home Alone. Family friendly. So how do we allow Leon to be a ruthless hunter without killing anyone, right? And I'm thinking, is there a way to do this where, you know, adults still understand why he would still be a terrifying figure, but at the same time, he can kind of do something that allows kids to kind of get a laugh out of it, right? So it's almost like I hate to bring up Shrek here, but Shrek did a great job of like having very adult jokes that kind of went over kids' heads to where like more audiences could uh, appreciate that movie. But ultimately what I settled on was maybe, maybe, maybe he, Leon is like a, a professional hide and seeker or something like that. Professional hide and seeker, but that's not terrifying to adults, Travis. A professional hide and seeker? But maybe... Maybe how do we make him more more terrifying? Maybe he's someone who serves lawsuits, all right? So at this point, he has to hunt out people and he has to trick them into being served basically their documents for a lawsuit. So now, again, <laughs> he's, this, he's this, this terrifying hunter. He's the best in New York. No one is better at serving. Like, you got a Rudy Giuliani out there who's trying to avoid getting served papers. It doesn't matter. Like, even lawyers fear this guy because he's so fucking good at getting in and out and you don't even know, right? 
So again, now that allows him to kind of be, it's almost like tag or hide and seek, you know, how he has to disguise himself. And now, again, the kids can kind of get a little laugh out of him scaring other adults and stuff like that. But they, they won't necessarily understand why being served a lawsuit is terrifying, right? So, um, so Leon is the best who's ever been in New York. He's uncanny, especially since he can't read still, or he can't read very well. He has to be able to read a little bit, but for the most part, he still has, he, he's not really good at reading because that still gives, um, you know, the symbiotic relationship later in the movie. Why, you know, Matilda still kind of teach him how to read better than what he does. Because um, again, I love that part of Leon. Like they, they did, you know, help each other out. Um, so... We can have an opening scene very similar to the original movie, but instead of, you know, guys dying, maybe they're getting locked out. They're being, you know, locked in closets. Maybe there's some prank stuff like, you know, someone like a bucket of water falls on the head. I don't know. This is kind of where a little bit of the Home Alone comes into it, where it's like basically Leon has to be able to get around a whole bunch of like basically bodyguards that are protecting someone who needs to be served. Right. So instead of everybody being murdered, um, they're basically just kind of getting clowned on. So that establishes that. Now we have to establish he's coming back from, from you know, another successful serving. And uh, here's kind of like Matilda and her dad, you know, getting into it. Matilda's dad is still going to be a piece of shit, but he's not going to be able to abuse her. Because, again, it's a family-friendly movie. I can't think of a lot of family-friendly movies. Like, you can have shitty parents. Again, that's where I think the 1996 Matilda kind of comes in. Or even, you know, for modern, you know, uh, more recent listeners, are maybe like a Harry Potter, again, where his, his stepfamily is just complete shitheads. So you can have a shitty family, but they can't really be abusive, right? So he's he's shitty, kind of a deadbeat dad. He makes Matilda basically come to his shitty apartment as a way of getting back at her mom for divorcing him, right? He doesn't give a shit about Matilda, but really this is just kind of a, a way of, of spiting the mom. So, you know, because he wants nothing to do with Matilda, Matilda and Leon start kind of having a relationship. Like, there's going to be scenes where, you know, Leon comes back and they just start to talk. And ultimately, they build a relationship, um... Because uh, her dad is never around. Leon kind of becomes a surrogate, you know, father or stepfather, you could say. Um, and, you know, they start to, maybe it starts off with like some simple games of hide and seek. And that's when Matilda realizes how Leon is so good at what he does, serving papers and all that. So at some point, we're going to establish that Stan, all right, is engaged to Matilda's mom. So that's going to be her new stepdad. And maybe when the mom and Stan come to pick up Matilda one day, Mom and Matilda run downstairs, but Stan stays behind, you know, and this is where Leon's going to be. He's going to be staring out his peephole. He's going to be kind of eavesdropping on the whole thing because, again, now he has at this point, we've changed the order of what's happened in the movie. But Leon now has the the, the relationship before um, basically Stan threatens or comes after the family. So Stan stays behind. He's going to threaten the father, uh, essentially saying that the dad is no good for Matilda. He needs to get, you know, he's making his fiance's wife miserable. He needs to basically pack up and get the fuck out of town. Or he's going to he's gonna lose custody anyway, and Stan's going to make sure that he winds up going to jail for whatever. We don't have to get very, you know, into the, the various crimes. Because, again, it's a family-friendly. We don't have to get into that that nitty-gritty. It's just the, the adults will realize what the, the implications of what's going on, and the, the kids will understand, you know, Matilda's dad has to leave. He has two weeks because we have to give some kind of time span. It can't be immediate. We can't have him come in and shoot up the place at noon the next day. Um, so the next time Matilda comes over, Leon's very distant to her. 
you know, eventually he breaks down and tells her what he heard. And, you know, the two have to come up with a plan to basically make Stan look insane so that, you know, Mommy Dearest will drop Stan and Matilda can continue to come and hang out with her dad, a.k.a. Leon. So, we, you know, this is the part where we get into, you know, the montage or like the, the training. You know, this is Leon showing her how to be sneaky, how to get past people, maybe some of the little traps that he sets to slow people down so that he can get around people so he can serve. Then we have to get into the actual, like, Matilda has to, to use all of these things that she's learned. So next is Matilda. She, you know, you can see her maybe, maybe this is where our actual montage is. So before it's just more the relationship. We've already established that, you know, Leon has taught her some of this stuff. So now it's Matilda setting traps around the house. Um, and essentially it's going to be all of these traps, Matilda, you know, using her, uh, basically new skills to kind of sneak around the house to make Stan think he's crazy. Like there's a tons of people there. They're basically just trying to make him lose his mind, freak out so that mommy dearest doesn't find him, you know, attractive anymore. Um, it all culminate where of course, somehow Matilda's going to get trapped somewhere in the house and she's going to be discovered. So Leon is going to have to pretend to be something and he's going to wind up pretending to serve Stan, right? That's the only way that Stan's going to realize he shouldn't be getting, you know, served. How did the even guy get in there? What the hell is going on? And then Stan realizes who Leon is. He's, oh my God, this guy, he's a legend. I've never even heard, like, he's, he's a legend around New York. No one even knows what he looks like, right? So in the end, you know, this is where I, I probably could use a little bit more of a bridge here. I don't know if you have anything, but it, basically we go from that to Stan realizes what's going on. We have to have the family friendly heartfelt moment where everybody has to come clean that, you know, Leon, she's going to attach to Leon. He's like a brother to her, the brother she always wanted. You know, Leon's a really good dude. They're worried that they'll never get to see each other anymore. You know, maybe mom comes in and realizes what's going on. So ultimately Stan is still kind of crazy and an asshole. But he's actually kind of an okay, okay guy, too. And what he winds up doing is we find out Stan is actually a hotshot lawyer in New York City. And he hires Leon to serve papers for him. And that way, Leon can still hang around and be around Matilda. But at the same time, they don't have to have the deadbeat dad around anymore. And, you know, basically it ends with the, you know, Leon can come and still see her under one condition. No more pranking on Stan. To me, that's that's my way of making Leon into a a family friendly esque movie. Uh, I I've been holding one question for a long time. <laughs> uh huh. Let me ask you: Did you give your movie a title? No, I just kept as Leon the Professional. <laughs> okay, because you I got served. Thought... It'll have a tagline: Leon the Professional, you got served. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask if you were going to call it You Got Served. <laughs> I, God, I, I love it. And I, I do enjoy the fact that we both had family films this week because I feel like we both gave into the same instincts at times because like, I also felt the need to have Norman Stansfield be a likable character by the end. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like that's a hallmark of family films. And I love the way that you did it. Yeah. I was just, that's where I was, I guess trying to do the Mrs. Doubtfire time where it's like Leon just wants to be close to her. So like he has to, like they have to find a way 
to essentially convince the family by the end that he should still be allowed around. Because I don't know if anybody has seen Mrs. Doubtfire lately. I remember I basically watched it as a kid, and it maybe was 20 years before I watched the movie again. That movie is a lot darker than I remember it being. Like, it is a, it is a dark dark movie for a family friend. and maybe that's just the 90s version of family friendly it's a lot different than today's but um i mean that is that movie is essentially about a de- uh, they go th- um a family going through a bitter divorce and robin williams character just wants to be close to his kids and basically his fight to get to to be around his kids um but yeah it's I was, I was trying to pull in those elements of and then again at the end where like you know pierce brosnan is the the new um the new boy toy or the new uh what is it fiance or our husband whatever it is in mrs doubtfire so it's like at the end he has to be kind of a somewhat likable character because he's still going to be around that can't be uh just like you know destroy this character kind of thing yeah no 100 percent. and i think uh you bring up a good point like a lot of what i learned from making the professional into a, a family film which i'll get into mine in just a second but a lot of those kind of family-friendly films, the themes are pretty dark. You just play it more comedically. But if you look at the root, yeah, it's a dark story. So um, as difficult as it was to do The Professional as a family film, I think it's not as hard as I imagined. So without further ado, uh, much like you, I've taken your lead on giving an opening pitch, you know, what movie elements do I have in this family friendly Lyon? I went with, uh, three movies and it's weird because one of them was home alone. <laughs> uh, so I went with boys in the hood. Oh, okay. Meets Night at the museum. All right. Meets home alone. Now, uh, you are much better at giving notes, so I've even set up my my pitch here to leave room for you. So I'm going to open it up to you at times just to see if you have any thoughts. Okay, okay. But uh, so Leon in this situation, he's a low-income single dad. All right, so he, he's got a daughter, but the daughter lives with the mother and the new stepfather. So again, we're, we're hitting the same beats early. So the daughter's Matilda. She's having behavioral issues at school. And I'm thinking we could betray this uh, with a scene of her on the playground. She's kind of moving stealthily around the playground as other kids are playing. And she's got a slingshot. <laughs> okay. I and like she's it. She's sniping people with her slingshot. And then she's going to get in trouble with the principal. This oh, isn't so- the first time, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay. So and, to, and the mom- I was going to say, to do what? this. The, sli- the father, Leon, has to have given her the slingshot because it now gives a, a uh, like a, an opportunity for the mom to really dig at Leon. Like, why would you give her a slingshot? Like, again, about how irresponsible he is as a father. Well, interesting. I, we could do that, but afterwards, after the, the principal issue, she's in trouble again. The mom and the stepdad are like, hey, we, we cannot get this girl under control. You know, she is very much Leon's daughter. And I, have you seen Boys in the Hood, Brett? I have, but again, that's another one. It's been a while. So it's not that important, but the, the start of that movie is Cuba Gooding Jr. is getting in trouble as a kid. And the mom's finally like, you know what? I've had enough. You're going to go live with your father and you're going to learn some discipline. 
So this is kind of that vibe. The okay. mom and the stepdad are like, look, she's out of control. Maybe she needs her father. Let's have her stay with him for a summer. Okay, okay. I, I like okay. This is I like this direction. So she starts to live with her father. Obviously, there's there's friction early on. He's not used to being a father. So uh, you know, other than hey, I'll, you know, see you at Christmas and you know, your birthday, etc. So it's almost so, like a, a Tokyo Drift situation. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that's a more modern example <laughs> of that that trope. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, Leon still lives in America, but, mm -hmm. you know, we could easily do it if he lives in Italy or Tokyo. Um, so Leon's job is he is a janitor at a mall. So he goes in after hours, cleans everything up. It's just him alone in the mall. I like that you made him literally a cleaner. <laughs> Spoilers for the title, Brett. <laughs> Okay. Um, so Leon makes an agreement with her, like, hey, to learn discipline, you're going to have to come help me do my job, help me clean the mall. So that's going to lead into our first montage of Leon. He's being meticulous in his job. He's making sure everything is sparkly clean. Every piece of trash is removed. But, of course, in the montage, we contrast that with Matilda. She doesn't want to be in here cleaning this mall. So this is the first point where I want to open it up to you, Brett. What kind of contrast could we show in that montage? I wasn't sure. I mean, if you don't want to go montage, my and maybe this is a little generic. I apologize if it is. But I'm thinking like he is like cleaning or something like that. Maybe they're in like a dick Sporting Goods or something like that. It's going to be an athletic store. And at a certain point, Matilda's going to be screwing around with like a hockey stick or something, and she's going to launch a puck into like a pit of like a, a display of balls, and all the balls are just going to come off the wall. And like it's just going to make a gigantic mess in this sporting goods store. And it's just going to be like Leon, like this is where he realized he's got his work cut out for him. Oh, Brett, perfect. See, again, I knew I could count on you. So that's exactly the vibe I wanted. So Matilda knocks the rack of balls down and Leon, that's going to be the moment where he's frustrated with her and Leon, he overreacts, you know, he's saying shit like, Hey, he can't handle her and that she should live with her mother. This is why, you know, he let her live with her mother in the first place. Of course, this is going to upset Matilda and Leon's going to feel terrible about that. So we're going to have the scene back at home late at night and maybe I'm betraying what the professional did as far as efficiency, but we're going to have the scene where Matilda's sleeping and Leon pulls out some home movies of happier times when he, when he was actually raising Matilda mm -hmm. and uh, Leon's watching the home movies and we see a video of Leon with like a six year old Matilda and they're playing like cops and robbers and, and he can tell that Matilda's just enjoying the shit out of it. And he kind of smiles and he, he has an epiphany like, okay, now I know how to do this. So Leon offers Matilda a deal the next morning. Like they're having breakfast and he basically tells her, hey, if you do a good job and actually help me clean the mall and you behave at school when it starts, they'll use the mall once a week as kind of a – a stage to play cops and robbers or laser tag or LARP 
etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's again where we can open it up to you because I have a few ideas on we would go to like a montage. I'm glad you mentioned the sporting goods store. That would give you an opportunity to have a lot of equipment that they could play with. Yeah, it's um, a, essentially like he's giving a keys to the kingdom. I could see like a lot of the the malls have like those trains that like people drive around. So like there could be a thing or like suddenly like uh, he's driving the train and like she's a, a highway robber or something like that. She's taking over the train. Yes. We have a scene like that. You could still have a scene where like she's trying on clothes at a, at a store or something like that. Where of course, people, you know, that could be interspersed. Uh, paste or maybe that's where they're getting all their costumes it's like she's going through the fitting rooms and it's them you get them they pick out an outfit and then you're seeing what they go out and do so then you can do the foot uh, you know maybe throwing a football or something like that with the sports with a maybe in an electronic store she like pretends to be a dj and throw like a club or you know like a a, a rave party yes. or something like that so like it's them basically using the mall to live out their dreams together you know all of these different fantasy scenarios beautifully stated yes Exactly. And I was thinking about, well, hey, maybe I can't make it too extreme and unbelievable. But as we talked about with the professional, they're having fucking World War Three in an apartment building in the middle of New York. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to try to make this super realistic. I'm thinking there's a there's a place that sells go karts and they're driving go karts around the mall. They're having like car chases and go karts. Mm hmm. Now, here's what I have not mentioned. The head of mall security is Norman Stansfield. And one night, as they're, they're playing out their fantasies, Matilda or Leon, however you think it would be better portrayed, somebody gets sloppy. And they leave a trace behind that they've been doing this. And Norman Stansfield finds it. So now Norman Stansfield's like, hey... I think there's something going on in the mall after hours. Maybe I need to kind of have a little stakeout because he takes his job way too fucking seriously. How old is how old uh, is have Matilda? You seen Observe and Report with Seth Rogen? Yes. Okay, so I'm. Wait, it's not Seth Rogen, is it? No, it is Seth Rogen. Yeah, Sorry. you're thinking Mall uh, Blart Paul Cop Mall. Yeah, Paul Blart Mall Paul Blart Mall Bop. Um, yes. Mall Blart Call Mop. Uh, so I'm, yeah, vibes of that. Um, so this is where I kind of like lost steam. I don't know how you carry out the conflict between the trio. So um, how? But I'm thinking it culminates, and and you can help me with the culmination. How old is Matilda supposed to be in this movie? In your version, that? how old is Matilda in your version of Leon? S- same age as the movie, okay. professional. 12. Did I lose you? Oh, I was going to say, ask you something. Okay, so the reason I'm asking that is because at a certain point, I feel like with this family-friendly movie, there there has to be like, there's a, and maybe I didn't do this on mine, but like thematically, it has to be like maybe Matilda, like you establish at the beginning, like she's she's acting up, she's not acting her age, she's acting very mature. And like in the beginning with Leon giving the keys, like, Basically, he's enabling her to continue staying, you know, young and not having to grow up. So at some point, she's going to have to learn a lesson as to like how she has to kind of grow up. And then Leon and her are going to have to find new ways to basically bond where it's not doing this stuff. I was thinking if she's older, I don't think this will work now, but like 
maybe he tries to teach her how to drive using like the car that's like in the middle of the mall like the you know display model the showroom cars usually and like maybe they wind up hitting something and like that's where the the security guard he realizes like there's a scratch on the car that wasn't there before and like starts to get suspicious and like that's basically kind of like the telltale yeah yeah um Ultimately, I think the the inset piece is Leon and Matilda have been living out this fantasy life. They know the mall frontwards and backwards, but so does Norman Stansfield. So he kind of stakes out the ball late at night and now sees what they're doing and then tries to kind of arrest them, even though he's not technically a cop. So we have kind of a chase through the mall using some of the elements we've seen earlier to avoid Norman or or kind of playfully fight Norman. And finally, Norman's going to capture them. And Leon is going to explain, you know, hey, this is why we're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And we reveal that the reason Norman takes his job so seriously and he's so miserable is because he also has a strained relationship with his child. Mm. And he appreciates what Leon is doing. And now we have like a play date situation. Like I have a kid, you have a kid, they can play together and we can be adults together. So I don't know how I can bridge that, but that's where I wanted the movie to end off. Like, hey, we can be friends. All right. I like instead of it, her having to learn how to grow up, it's her having to she's having a problem with transitioning or like interacting with other people, because now at the end, what it's going to wind up being is with everything she's done with her dad, it's established this area where she can be comfortable. And now it's going to allow Stanford's like son or daughter to come in and she's going to be able to like what did I? Yeah, that's not what I mean. Stansfield. Stansfield. Uh, it's going to allow, essentially, those two characters to develop at the appropriate age, like together. So now it's not like they they won't be holding them back. So she'll be able to start interacting with other people her age. Beautiful. Yes, that's perfect. Like yeah, Leon. Even in the professional, he's stunted. In my version, yes, he's still stunted, but now he's got an adult to bond with. Mm-hmm. And same for the children. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. So, yeah. And uh, title of the film, The Cleaner. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it a lot. It is beautiful that we were able to essentially do... Uh, yeah, the <laughs> the same theme completely differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I again, I think that it, it's a clear sign that movie making is not formulaic, but there are formulas to succeed. And I think the family film, we found that perfect balance. Absolutely. All right, so with Choppy Chop done, let's move into a couple of other segments. I think we'll, just to kind of ease everybody out, we'll do Blue Book next. So, Travis, I'm going to tell you this. I had, had to do some fun fun math with this because, according to IMDb, 
it gave me how much this movie costs, but like in whatever the French currency is, FRF. Um, so I had to go and do some mathematics to get what the U.S. budget was, what it, it, the U.S. equivalent of the budget would be, which came up at about $20 million is how much this movie cost, according to my my math. If, if we want to go off of what's on IMDb, it was $115 million FRF. So I tried to go back to, what was it? Did I say 94? This might have come out in 96. Uh, it no, it was 94. It was 94. So I went back to 1994, tried to, to include like inflation as to what it would have been at that time. Everything was about the same number. So what I'm sticking with was this is about $20 million to make this movie. How much do you think this movie made? Um, gross US and gross worldwide are about the same thing. Uh, there's only a difference of about $52,000. So can you go ahead and give me what you think the movie, what did it make? $65 million. You would be remiss to find out it only made $19 million. What? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Worldwide? Sure, yeah, worldwide. Now, I'm sure this has a cult following and like re-releases and stuff like that, but as of when it was released, it only made, yeah, $19.5 million. 19.5. Wow. I'm shocked by that because I think this was like critically acclaimed in france which uh, for obvious reasons but i would have thought that would have really boosted the box office yep and i don't know if it's just because r-rated movies in the 90s were different than r-rated movies today because i mean like you get a deadpool i think theaters don't care anymore about <laughs> letting 12 year olds see r-rated movies but i mean there was definitely a time in the 2000s where like you really had to think about if you were going to make a, a movie R-rated because you were you were going to take heavy losses not having it PG-13, you know? Um, so, Well, I, I hate to say this. This is, might be a little dark, but if France is worrying about letting 12-year-olds see R-rated movies when the director of the movie <laughs> seems to be oddly passionate about 12-year-olds, that seems like some hypocrisy. Just a little bit. Just a teensy bit. <laughs> but yeah, I'm shocked by that low gross. Yep. So with that, we'll jump into some tag and title. So with this, I'm going to give you three taglines, Travis. One is going to be one of the taglines for this movie. One will be for a, a movie I've deemed adjacent to this movie. And then lastly, there will be a tagline that I myself created. All right. I will give them to you in a random order. I need you to tell me what the tagline for Leon the Professional was. All right. I'm Here. incredibly excited for this segment this week. Here we go. Your first one is, he's got you in his sights. The second one is, if you want the job done right, hire a professional. And your third one is, soon the hunt will begin. So you tell me. Um, oh, what, sorry. Oh, you need me to repeat one of them? No, no, no. Uh, I want to eliminate soon the hunt will begin. All right. I don't believe that's the tagline for this movie. And I don't believe that's one you made up. 
I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think I'm right on this, but I'm going to say, is that the the hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro? That is the tagline for the Predator. <laughs> Ooh, wait, the Predator, the new one? No, sorry, Predator. Sorry, I, I forgot oh, okay. that that's what we do these days. Is we add the onto a title <laughs> and it makes a difference. I blame Fast and Furious for doing that first. Um, I 100% agree. So no, that was the that was the the official tagline for. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator. So you're down to, he's got you in his sights, and if you want the job the job done right, hire a professional. I think you made that tagline up because it's my favorite one, and typically my favorite one is one that you made up. All right. So if you want the job right, hire a professional. Did you make that up? That is the official tagline for the movie. I couldn't make a better one. That is a fantastic, that is a spot on tagline. So mine was, he's got you in his sights. Okay. That that gives me some faith. I'm glad that at least in 1994, somebody was on the Brett Mosher wavelength on tagline, because I'm telling you, if you need a tagline, call Brett Mosher. So it does have five other taglines I'd like to share. That was the one I picked, because again, I just, I thought it was, hmm. Chef's kiss, perfect. Another one was a professional hitman, an innocent witness, a corrupt detective who went too far. Then we have yeah, ta- taglines shouldn't be paragraphs. Oh, then you're gonna hate the next one. A perfect assassin, an innocent girl. They have nothing left to lose except each other. He moves without sound, kills without emotion, disappears without a trace. Only a twelve-year-old girl knows his weakness. Jesus I, fucking Christ. That's a synopsis. That's not a fucking tagline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let, let's just put the script out. <laughs> All right. The next, we got three left. He moves without sound, kills without emotion, disappears without a trace. Um, I think that's good for like an assassin movie. I don't think it's good for this movie. I think it would have kind of been a bait and switch situation because... So much of this movie is more about, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe the professional is the same way. I just think the professional is so well done. Um, so this is the next, or I'll, I'll save this in last. And then you have one that's you can't stop what you can't see, which I thought wasn't really, it's relevant to the first 15 minutes of the movie. But after that, so I, I thought like that can doesn't. Can I stop you for just a second? Yeah. Did you watch the trailer for this movie? I did not. All these lines that you're saying now are just narration in the trailer. <laughs> you can't stop what you can't see. It's literally the opening, <laughs> you know, voiceover in the trailer. So the last tagline was the, it is a, the official tagline in Australia. And it is, revenge is a tough game, even for a professional. I don't think that makes any sense for this movie. This movie is not about, like, I guess Natalie Portman's character is looking for revenge, but... I just don't think that that one sums up what this movie is about at all. I think that's just a generic, a generic tagline thrown out there. Yeah, no, that God damn. Yeah. The one you went with as the official tagline of the five or six. Yeah, that was the one. Um, so with that, I mean, that kind of ends a lot of the the segments that I have, we still have time capsule. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what you decided to, to latch onto. My initial thought would have been the director. I might still be right, but we did kind of hit on him on the, uh, the five point inspection. So I'm interested to see what's our, what's our time capsule for this week. Well, here's the thing. 
I felt like this movie was going to be robust in content, so I didn't want to do a, a lengthy time capsule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like you said, we touch on Luke Besson. I don't want to go there anymore. Um, so this will be brief. Um, one of Norman's crew, um, Benny, he's the big guy that's outside the door that oh. shoots it. I'm so glad you chose. I know a little bit about it. I'm so glad you chose Benny. Go on. Sorry. I okay. don't want to ruin it for the audience. No, no, no. Um, I just want to make sure that the audience remembers who Benny is because he's in one of the funniest scenes of the movie where they tell him, hey, don't come. We're coming out. Don't fire Benny. And Benny fires. Yep. Does um, not so have good nerves. Just in that brief scene, I loved Benny. Mm-hmm. And then I came to find out that. After this movie, Benny went on to be a firefighter in New York, and he passed away in 9-11. Yeah. Tragic. So I just wanted yeah. to give a shout-out to that actor because, uh, I mean, in the 10 seconds he was on screen, he absolutely killed it. And, I mean, obviously he did an amazing thing for the people of New York and the people of America. Yeah. I mean, again, tragic, tragic ending there. Uh, so obviously not what I was excited about, but yes, just the fact that you decided to to kind of honor Benny because I I had read that too, and I was like, oh man, that's that's a really cool fact to know about this movie. So yeah, I mean, I, and I I didn't do a good job of explaining it, uh, but yeah, we we try to look at an element of the movie, you know, ten years before, ten years after, um, and obviously, you know. This was 94. By 2001, we know uh, what happened to Benny. So, again, I just thought that was a, a cool little detail, and I just wanted to give him a shout-out. Fantastic. Well, with that said, we'll wrap it up here. Travis, you know, um, is this a movie you would recommend people watch, own? Is it something to, to stream? What, where, where are your, your thoughts on, on viewing of the movie? I, I don't think it's any secret. Uh, this is an absolute own it. I would recommend it for almost anybody. Again, we've touched on the problematic elements of it. But again, if you can separate the art from the artist, I think this is a wonderful movie that can serve a lot. Like a lot of people, even if you're not a hardcore action fan, this movie still has something for you. Cause as we talked about, it's got great dramatic elements. It's very funny at times. So highest recommend own it. I'll look for it on Blu-ray to see if there's a new special edition that I don't own. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, what's interesting about this movie is the, the action sequences actually bookend the movie. The majority of the center of the movie is the relationship built between Leon and Matilda. And it doesn't, it like, it's not slow, which is the interesting part, because you would expect, like, oh, you know, how can you really bookend the movie with action and it still be entertaining? But, like, there is there is a solid chunk of the movie where you do not see Gary Oldman's character or the D-Agents or anything. Like, it is just focusing on the relationship between Matilda and Leon. And like I said, it is fantastic movie um i would also recommend owning it i think it's a it's a great film if you don't i definitely think it is at least worth watching because it is something that is referenced a lot in pop culture even subtly if you don't realize it and then beyond that um as we brought up kind of the mandalorian earlier like there's definitely has influenced directors and writers um since that time so it's it's always interesting to see kind of like you know the 
where where some of these ideas kind of got started and where people have built off of them since then so uh yeah i i would say own it if you don't feel like owning it you should definitely watch it 100 percent. and i was just looking over my quotes that i wrote down and you mentioned it uh, stansfield says it i take no pleasure in taking a life if it's from a person who doesn't care about it and this movie is about two people finding a new reason to care about life so like it nails the theme. Yeah, almost a perfect movie for me. So, uh, Travis, could you uh, could you get everyone to watch it? Uh, what do you mean, everyone? Everyone. Bye. Uh, I was very excited to watch it. Um, it's one of those movies as a kid that I loved. God damn it. I hate my fucking audio. <laughs> this fucking playback in my ear is killing me.